still working on intros you know uh 60 plus uh episodes and we're still figuring out but uh today is a very exciting day um because we finally get to talk about one of our favorite bands uh, chris do you agree with me one of your favorite bands? oh yeah queens of stone age and we're doing rated r Yes, the feel-good hit of the summer. Controversial song. Mm. Let's not forget about it. Oh, I wish I had some cocaine. By the way, don't do drugs. Uh, or if you do drugs, do something while you're doing drugs. Uh, use those drugs. Uh, anyway... <laughs> As always, I'm Scott Allen. I'm coming at you with a, a, a mild hangover, a little fuzzy IPAs uh, drink. If you're an alcoholic, you understand what I'm talking about. And as always, a uh, super producer, Chris Myers. Everyone, so, round of applause. Yay. See, if we had sound Not drugs. a crazy night last night. Uh, got into bed early. Huh? Woke oh, yeah. up, 
Do some stretches. Uh, well, when you work it, you know, but as early, you got to. Oh, yeah. Uh, Life outside being over. <laughs> yeah, goddamn quarantine. Uh, I, got no, I got no schedule. I got no, uh, nothing holding me down. I'm just going crazy. And uh, recording podcasts <laughs> constantly. Um, remember to follow us on all the social media platforms, uh, especially on YouTube. And be sure to check out our newest show, We Are Horrible. Uh, all things horror movie related, uh, very good, uh, awesome. Can't, I'm so glad we have a show that can make us some money. <laughs> Finally. Uh, anyways, let's get into it. Uh, Chris, how, how the, when, when was the first time? Oh, man, I don't know. You heard them. I, I can't. Maybe tra- the radio? I can't, I can't trace it back. Maybe, yeah. Maybe a Tony Hawk soundtrack? Maybe uh, a skate tape? I mean, I don't know if they, probably a skate tape because they did, you know, have some of those early... Mm-hmm. These songs and stuff, yeah, and even from the first self-titled album, some of those songs I've heard in videos before too. But I don't, I can't actually place my finger. I can more or less just like, just uh, you just know, growing I, up in this time. You yeah, were probably about I probably 12, honestly the first you know. thing I can kind of remember would be like growing up, uh, um, seeing the music videos. You know, they're iconic ones for. Uh, um, songs for the Deaf. Oh, right. Yeah. They had like those two. Uh, no one knows. And what's the other song? Uh, I can't remember the other song. Uh, Go with the flow. Go with the flow. Yeah. Both of those had music videos that circulated on MTV very frequently because of how like cool they were. And the radio played those songs yeah. all the time. That's yeah. how I first heard them for sure. Just of the band itself. Yeah. Uh, in hindsight, it was actually way before and I'm going to talk about this album and that song in particular, uh, Rated R, the feel-good hit of the summer. And it was goddamn Blair Witch Project 2. And it's the party scene where they're all drinking after they all get together and they play that song when they're getting all fucked up. And I was like, who the fuck is this? And, and I remember me and my friend at the end of the movie looking at the credits. Uh. And I, I must have been like 14, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it was like right kind of where it was like put, heavy influence out, you know where I mean? it's like this is a cool song like and, and at that point that whole like, soundtrack that whole movie had like manson songs and stuff like that yeah. i mean why not <laughs> it's an early 2000 horror movie yeah and uh, yeah, you know i liked horrible. it i fucking liked it <laughs> i mean it, I, I it was, liked, a, it was yeah. an interesting take on to like flip the script and make it like an actual movie for right. a sequel instead of a uh, found footage but then also like play into the first movie. So yeah, that was interesting. Welcome to the uh, horror movie podcast. Yeah, right? now no, we're just <laughs> transversing into horror movie. Uh, but uh, this whole album's kind of like has this weird uh, B movie feel to it in a way. I mean, the title itself is yeah. rated a horror, so it is the look like of it a, has that a, old a movie title yeah. or a movie rating, if you will. Yeah, and it's kind of like a slap in the face to like. Uh, all the bullshit of just like censorship and, you know, holding back and not doing what you think as an artist is uh, important, you know? Yeah. They didn't, they didn't want it to be, uh, um, when it, this is the time of, you know, putting the parental advisory thing. In some ways it's like a badge of honor and other ways it's it's the greatest thing. I was looking at the album cover right now and I was like, Oh yeah, Spotify doesn't have that shit. Yeah. Well, that was part of the controversy uh, and we can get into it further, but yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't have the parental advisory because it's rated R. So they get away with 
not having the sticker by just calling it Arso. Very oh, clever. Really? Yeah. That's how they got around it because that's they smart. Yeah. I didn't mean, I don't know if they thought that was going to actually happen, but they were like, Oh, if that's the name of the album, then obviously, well, what about a cannibal corpse album? You know, where it's like a crazy fucking title, <laughs> like gut slut. Well, even puncher. like cannibal corpse, they had to like, some of the artwork would be so disturbing. So they'd have to like have a zoom up of like the labia part of like eaten back to life or whatever that, um, I don't remember that name. There's so many shirts. Yeah, yeah. But you know, where it's just like a close up of like the skin portion and, or, or like the bleeding. Like it was just like part of the blood, but like the real album covers like all fucked up. Yeah. You know what I mean? So they like, they just defer Walmart and whatever they like, they distorted or change it up. I mean, you know, target Walmart was like, uh, you know, just saying we don't need to have this album. We don't need to have probably have this album. This one, yeah, that's exactly yeah. it. It's like they're, they're not going to carry it, so not, you know. Because that's like extreme death metal, but something like Queens of Stone Age being in just the rock category and just one of the, I guess, the few rock and roll bands at the time. I don't well, think it was till later 2000s that we get the Strokes, the White Stripes. Yeah. So we didn't really have like a rock band to hold our own really at this they're time. Like, I'm thinking of yeah. is more like fucking... I don't know. Nickelback is like coming out here. No, yeah, we don't really have like a rock band kind of like on the radio. Ewing Shepherd. Um, I mean, yeah, it would be when like songs. Blue October. um, Fucking kill me. Songs for the deaf. That would be like probably when you know. Of course, that's their mainstream break. But that's like that's that whole. um, We need our album to be in mass stores because songs are on the radio and people need to buy it. Yeah, not everyone can go to their. Not every town has a small record store. So if you were going to sell millions, you need to have them in these stores. And so it's like, I get um, that album, especially like did have the sticker and that one was iconic for having that. Yeah. Red it was for that. Cool yeah. Because it was all red and then and, just in the corner because yeah. they always caught your eye. And then same with their self-titled because it, it has like women's breast on the, 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 and I think I think I'm. That's what. No, it is. that's yeah. No, what is it? It's panties. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. For the self-titled, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. The album artwork. So that one. Uh, As everyone rushes over. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. It's not. It's not. I thought it was the, the bra. It's actually. Yeah, it's yeah. Panties. It's panties. So like that already. That's pretty. And they, ch- I think they changed the color of it. They like made it darker. To hide more to kind of like hide yeah. it yeah so because uh, again people are like this is not yeah. acceptable like what fucking standards are people thinking what is acceptable especially when it comes to music and art altogether it's it's fucking absurd that yeah. someone could be like well that's not appropriate well it's like well you don't have to look or listen or pay attention to this but you choose to and it's it's absurd this is america you know well, this that- is america <laughs> The artwork gets a little bit more sillier and funner as albums continue, like Era and Clockwork, and you know, um, even Villains. Like it's just kind of like like more coolest one, you know, for sure. Yeah, Um, yeah. So I think they kind of learned their lesson maybe from like this album, dealing with like yeah, and it was like learning a lesson from the first album is like we really got to like add a little bit more flavor. Mm And that was more of like, you know, adding different members to kind of twist and turn it around, but also thinking 
uh, different instead yeah. of just like your traditional I mean, rock and roll. Like, let's get a little bit of like multiple drummers on that first album. So of course it's gonna sound. It, in, it was all that, done by him too. He sung the entire album, but you know, just he he only sings half of this. You know, Josh yeah. only sings half of this album. Where Nick sings uh, another three or four, or I think five more songs or something, and then we have uh, the guy from the Screaming Trees doing, I believe, autopilot. But I digress. That um, you know, coming into this album, they really did change all that, and it was clever with the name and everything was so much fun, but. They really, like you were saying, didn't have the chance to be in stores everywhere. So Rated R, or the next step would be Songs for the Dead yeah. and working with a mega producer as well. It really, they're still that's like a loud album. finding themselves yeah. in this album too, like letting guest people sing and having uh, other songs, be like a Mondo Generator song being brought in. So it's like not even... Yeah. His material, in a sense, you, you know, it's like <clears throat> more of a collaboration. That's what this is. And, you know, Josh sense, Josh was saying, like, uh, him and uh, Nick had this uh, agreement when they started this that he was going to be like the Dr. Jekyll to the Mr. Hyde kind of thing. And everything gets blamed on Nick. And it's supposed to be the two sides of all of it. You know, that, that was the original kind of idea for going into this. Um, that's really reflected on this because you have, like, the – the craziest songs like um, "One Will Play Later" is uh, quick and to the pointless, or "Tension Head," you know, and, and as well as like the lightning song, which is just like very yeah instrumental, instrumental desert. So uh, you get a lot of flavors on this. The only problem with this album is maybe just that where it has too much and it's not all threaded. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not like each song lines up where it should be on the album to make like a perfect album. This song is like, every song is great, but like, it's weird how it goes up and down. It didn't get the uh, way to accelerate and decelerate yet in the most perfect uh, combination. But, yeah. I but think they, that's they part- take risks and they experiment. I constantly. think that's part of it. It's, this is before, you know, even Songs for the Deaf is like a concept album. And even yeah. after that, Lullaby's concept album. Pretty much they start doing concept albums after this. This is kind of just like a mix and mash of like, hey. This is what we can do and what like, we're capable of. I got um, Mark from uh, Screaming Trees, right? So he's going to do backing and lead songs because, because you got them. And, then, and like, Josh uh, left Chaos <clears throat> to be in the Screaming Trees, yeah. hence the relationship there. You got uh, even guest people like Rob Halford showing up, like a song. Um, the, uh, the song we played. <laughs> Maybe you didn't know, but he does the backing vocals on Feel Good Hit of the Summer. Yeah. Does that blow your mind, Rob yeah. Halford? That blew my mind when I was like, wait, what? So Most like, random dude. You you look at the personnel for it, and it's like you only have two main people, like you're saying, the yeah. doctor, and then you have this like rotating door of people singing and doing stuff. So it almost is like this, um, uh, what is it, the Desert Sessions mentality? It's, yeah. Where it's like, instead of one person it's two and we're going to have all these people add their flavor to this song or that song. And Hey, Nick wrote a song from Mondo generator that we're going to rewrite and bring in. And Mark's going to sing this song yeah. and this is going to be an instrumental. And so it's, it is really a, a risky album. Like you're saying in some ways it's not as coherent because you do have songs like tension head and then autopilot, yeah, which we're going to play oh, later. How so it starts like, is feel good head of the summer. Yeah. And then you get into the art of keeping a secret. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, way different. Yeah. You know what I mean? So imagine, you know, they're like at this time too, what is it? 2000. I know. Right. So they're, 20 they're, they're playing Ozfest. 
playing. You know. It's strange. Yeah. You know, they get balled up in there with all these. Uh, first, this is their first album, too, I believe, on um, Interscope, which really shows uh, the, just the awesomeness yeah. of Interscope back in those times where, like, you had Primus, you had Nine Inch Nails. And they were a big fan of just letting just these artists quirky band, just like, be, you know, they don't, yeah. you know, push them. That being said, I have heard some stories about after this album, Interscope really did try to push them see. to get more mainstream attention because I think they saw what they could be capable of because the market always needs a rock and roll band. Why we have Greta Grand Fleet, you know what I mean? It's crazy. But I digress again. No. Well, I mean just to that like interscope starts with best intentions and then eventually you just start getting these artists that are filling your pocket more and you're like okay we got to keep the business growing we got to uh, make what more are you money gonna do each like, annual we, we took the risk on this band whatever but they're not bringing in the same this other band that we took the exact same risk on so yeah. what you know you got to buck up or do something and I a lot they, of these songs wouldn't be on the radio from rated r to be honest the, oh. uh, the art of keeping the secret and I remember that being a music video that I, I saw think, yeah. after uh, Songs for the Death. You a know what I mean? These songs are just, in, in that, they're either too short, where it's like Leg of Lamb or something like that, or, uh, well, that's even a crazy, you know what I mean? It's either too crazy, too short, or you have songs that are like too long that are good. I think I lost my headache, eight minute song. I mean, these, these are songs that are probably going to be playing on a college radio, not a mainstream yeah. radio i mean a lot of these would be like a uh, monster in the parasol yeah you know and that got a music video too so you got to think you know it's like why did that get a music video but it was this album again is just showing everything that they can do and what they are possible like what is possible for uh, queens of stone age having those songs like you know just that straightforward kind of like easygoing song like the art of keeping a secret or autopilot, you know, what great songs. It almost feels like just a, a, a new David Bowie in a way. Mm -hmm. And then you get fucking absolutely bonkers nuts because, uh, monster in a parasol or something where it's like or the lamb's, uh, leg or whatever. Leg of, yeah. Leg of the lamb. That's like what they did that song. And after that, they said, this is a, like a staple of what we're going to always keep coming back to. They like made something on that song. Like they figured out a formula that is like unique to queens of stone age yeah well i think it's just that it's that driving this that song's two minutes and 48 seconds so it's like it's kind of fits in that probably radio spot where like you know it's a, a quick groovy tune yeah and you know they kind of like do that throughout all of their songs that have been on the radio have always been they do fit that formula but they're always like um like nice um, rock songs, I guess, like to that rock band point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you're going to be on rock radio, you need to kind of play by the rules, do the formula. <clears throat> the only ones that are <clears throat> have been exception to the rules are classics. And that's because they're, you know, they came out at a different time and they kind of like forced their way into our yeah. media. So, you know, you're not, it's very rare. Some songs like uh, Muse, I can think of like, or some bands where they're like, they might come out with like a five or six minute song. Okay, we're going to play it because it's a good song and, you know, they're a big band or whatever. Jewel is the same way. Same it's way, like yeah. they, like our local radio yeah. alternative station, they're 101X. Shout out to 101X yeah. uh, for playing our band. 
so much back in the day, <laughs> four times to <laughs> fact. But uh, that they will take those risks on tool. And it, stuff, it's like yeah. because it's probably well. We talked when we talked when we did talk about tool. Uh, we we learned that tool is just on a separate level of anyone else. Like they can do anything. And, and, and for some reason they've got they, this, they've got this yeah. shield around them where like nothing like uh, is, they don't have to write a song it's in fans, any way. Yeah. You it's know, like, it's, it's, if you're the fans, music industry yeah. had to accept what tool is because they make money. And at the end of the day, that's what is their business. <laughs> exactly. So, so they're like, like just, uh, we got to leave it alone because we can't change yeah. it and tool will walk away from anything. Yeah. And that's kind of like Queens of stone age too, where it's like, they gotten up to this level to where, they kind of have like a little bit of a shield around them in a way to where they get to uh, be wacky and do weird fucking songs like the six, six, six song, you know? Yeah. And, and, and that music video was nuts too, because it's like someone eating well, someone in blood. Well, and, like, yeah, you, that song you know, on, um, and then you get some beautiful Lullabies, stuff, right? Or what? Oh, that was off that of was Valera. Era. Yeah. yeah era of Valera. But still even era that, of, like, I can't say it. They're taking, um, risks with like the, the whole lullabies thing. That was like a whole, double disc concept album that came out with a live DVD Weird. and like as a that you know, that album has a energy about it like exactly it has it's energy. like it's sound yeah you know it has it's almost like a you know we we talk about we haven't really dug into those albums but like uh from like Gojira or something where it's like from Mars has like a sound yeah you know and it doesn't sound like any other other albums lullabies is that same way it has this like weird court like reverb delay sound on all yeah, the songs this weird sense of mystique about exactly. it and this eeriness of like some albums do that where they yeah. just like they capture this like essence become like fascinated <clears throat> but like uh and most of the albums people like fans will go back and be like what the fuck is he singing about like yeah that's the craziest combinations of words and you know primus fans will understand that too or even a tool fan it's like you really want to dive into those lyrics. They're pretty clever and but but wacky and quirky. And yeah, we can refer to uh, Monster in the Paracel. That's all about his first time doing acid. Yeah, and a lot of these are drug Paul's songs. Paul's dad is a face is melting again. <laughs> it's like because you know, and it's yeah. like Paul's sister is an alien, and it was it all has to do with that experience of being over well, at Paul's house taking. I, I acid. don't think I had. I think I did. I just don't remember it completely. I do remember the booklet having the icons. But was it per song? It does sound familiar. Like I was reading the the booklet had like instead of uh like for I guess the whatever song it would have a little icon. I do next remember to the that. song. Yeah, be like feels monsters in a personal part. You know, it'd have like some, something to rip a um to like identify. You know, themes in the song by yeah. these icons next to it. I do remember something like that, but as I try to Ryan think back, CD case. <laughs> oh, let's bust it out. Just fucking everyone stand back. I yeah. gotta dust it. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, get your masks on. Um, I remember that heavy metal book having that in there and by each band, it would have like a symbol stating of like they're satanic or they talk yeah, about drug something use, like that. Exactly. Or they talk about women and exactly. sex, you know, Exactly. So I remember that being a thing. Uh, that was think, my ankle, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I think that this album had that had some sort of iconography yeah. for a song because of the whole rated R theme. And I I got this uh, album secondhand, so I had it to where it was kind of like scratched, and I didn't have the fucking uh, oh. the booklet. 
scratch CDs are the Oh my worst. god, autopilot did not work, dude. Yeah, it's autopilot like one song and, and, and it gets five, to like 2:30 or something. You get like halfway through it and it just skips. Oh, I it was the worst. Yeah, I always knew I had to skip past like autopilot and the art of keeping a secret. No, uh, the chemical, whatever. The oh, fuck. better living through chemistry. Yes, that title that was actually yeah, that, a Beatles song. Let, <laughs> I was gonna say let's get let's get to it, that. Or is like, it just a John Lennon song? What's up with the names on this? I, I think I lost my headache. Better living through chemistry. They have the, the best point. names. For I don't songs. know if that's the best names. I I don't know. I They're truly so love it. They're so. Long. Some of them are really long. Um, they get even longer. Where it's like. Uh, what is it? Uh, like death to the punk or whatever that like kicked in the head. Songs uh, for the deaf got so much more better with the names. Be like they actually, I think, go with the flow. Exact first it giveth, <laughs> sky is falling, six shooter, hanging tree, do it. Those again. are just very <laughs> just <laughs> in six your face. <laughs> this one's called six shooter. Now they love song. Uh, you know what I mean? They're just like straight to the point. And but then to that to to the point of those songs on that album having shorter names, they then I think on purpose throw you the biggest curveball by you think I ain't worth a daughter dollar, but I feel like a millionaire, which is like the longest song title. I think they've ever it's had. It's in parentheses too. <laughs> yeah. And then it's just millionaire. And on the CD, it's funny because they don't play that song when he says they're going to play it, that they actually play it later on. Yeah. And I was so confused because uh, maybe you didn't know, but that's actually Jesse from uh, Eagles of Death Metal doing all uh, that pretend radio, radio DJ. DJ. Oh. Maybe you didn't know. Now you do. Not facts, not facts. Yeah, we can <laughs> save any of that shit for the end. We got nothing well, this at is, the end of this podcast. No, no, we're blowing our load early. But yeah, that's uh, that uh, being said, we should probably play another song yeah. and uh, give the people what they want is more Queens of Stone Age for sure. Yeah, this is uh, another example. of. So we did Leg of Lamb in the beginning, which is like a quirky yeah. kind of song so now this would be more of a they're like kind of going into this radio sort of feel they're trying to be more uh mainstream i think with this song yeah you know so it feels like a david bowie song it, yeah it does yeah. it's real spacey and it you know it, it was written for someone else that had no idea what it was even gonna sound like or they don't even play music like that to the point to where it's like he didn't know what he could possibly do yeah. with his vocals on top of other types of music you know what i mean i think it's beautiful to that to what we were talking about like creating that atmosphere like what lullabies did i think this song does that you know it creates this like dreamy space atmosphere like if you wanted to take that song and like make more songs like that i think they could and it would be this uh it'd be very desert sessions uh type probably album, yeah you know you know but this would be the the fourth song on the track, uh, Leg of Lamb would be the third. And yes. then we all know, if maybe you don't know, the first song is definitely uh, The Feel Good Hit in the Summer and then The Art of Keeping a Secret. So this is where we're at so far. We yeah. get crazy fucking fun song, uh, just a, a, a regular playing uh, radio rock and roll song. And then we get this weird type of formula. And now we just get, get to, back to the soft. Yeah. yeah. So let's check it out.
listened to this uh, a couple times uh, today when I woke up and um, still I, I we just played it right now I had to sit down and listen to it again because I just really like it you know I'll go for like a week like this where I'm just going to be obsessed with it and then I'm gonna be like I got I, I ingested to all I needed so I'm gonna take another break for another year and come back to this album you know but that's one of the great things about doing these episodes uh, for us or at least for me is going back and uh, listening to these albums, you know, I mean, kind of being forced in some ways because it's part of, you know, the research and what the episode is about. And, you know, it's like, oh, I know that album. I've listened to it a, a million times. But every time it's like I'm I'm more than happy to go back and be like, fuck, man, that is a good album, you know? Like yeah. every episode we've ever done has been like <clears> that. So I truly well, do love it. For me, some of these have been uh, albums that, like, you grew up with. So, like, you of course burn yourself out on it kind of early right listening you only have so many albums when you're a kid you know like you and then you play through it all the time and you listen just by listening to them so and then moving on i mean this is again that and your friends around you burning you out on it as well but shout out to justin this is their Second album out of seven, so you know, 
2000. I mean, by the time I heard of the band, probably around the Songs for the Deaf era, which is 2002. So, you know, the band had definitely has grown in the years I've of them pretty much as far as like their sound and like image people yeah. in the band. It's like, everything like, uh, and we're still excited to follow them uh, even to this day to where like back then really all about corn, not so excited about following them now, now, yeah. but Queens of Stone Age is one of those bands like tool. It's going to stick with me yeah. forever and well, ever, like, you know, they're, they're very unique. I'm not saying that, uh, Corn is not very unique in their own way, but I'm just saying it's more of like the world I want to live in is the world of Queens of Stone Age as a fan and as a, a musician because it's a no holds bar. It's really playing oh, music yeah. for the point of playing music and nothing else. And we love that being musicians, you know? Like uh, the tra the like trajectory of the bands at certain point, like Slipknot or Corn, like these bands we've kind of talked about in the past around the same time. Yeah, so they, they had to be, They're, you know, just swamped with fucking Limb Biscuit, you know, just yeah. fucking, ha. Oh, so, like, no I. No one cares about that. Everyone is following that scene in music, and Queens of Stone Age is kind of just like in the corner doing their thing. Yeah, they're with Primus, you know, yeah. just being weird. I mean, um, just to the sense of like listening to those albums, like that was the, like the corn is just burning out on those albums because like that was the time and the music. And then if that band doesn't stick with the times or if they do, but they do something different, you know, that's where like fans drop on and off. We'll just get older or. And there's been a couple like, of times with Queens of Stone Age where yeah. still, I don't really care about Valera for Garris. Am well, see, I saying that, that right? See, that's where like, I, I, I was like, maybe I'll get into it later on. And you love that album, but I, most I fell people off right hate, after, you know, well, I, not that I, I, my, and you fell off. I was already off too. I didn't get into um, like Clockwork, which yeah. came out in 2012. Everything was like two years apart from it. But um, it wasn't until like way later on, yeah. you know, down well, I, the uh, years, five years almost, if I'm not longer. Less familiar with their work as they go on. And that's not to say I don't like it. It's just to the point of there's only so many albums to listen to. And if, if they, for example, like, Queens of Stone Age. Uh, what was the villains one? Was like more poppy, right? Yeah, he said he was using swing. Yeah, so like, while I've listened to that album, it it's not the same vibe. Well, again, I'm sorry, folks. <laughs> and I mean, that's because this band also has had so many different vibes. So they, it's like they change it up, and again, they take they always take risks. Yeah, so, and then they do it for their, the sakes of their own mental health. It yeah. seems like at times because it makes things interesting, and you want to keep back and but coming back and doing it. I don't want to say fad. I want it because it's not, it's not, they're not doing what is popular, but they're do. you know, I think Josh goes through these like waves of inspiration and artistic expression. Right. And sometimes it's like, I feel like going to the desert. Sometimes it's, I feel like combing my hair with gel and putting on a leather jacket and looking riding a motorcycle. Yeah. Sometimes, so it's like he, sometimes it's like uh, you know, zipper up or whatever the fuck it's uh, the Eagles of death metal. Yeah, mindset. You know, it's like I'm here now. Queens of Stone is a different mindset altogether. Yeah. So, so it's these different. And I think Queens of Stone Age also is he's trying to. It has its own persona and like yeah. things. So like, and it has to it's move separate from and, yeah. Josh in a way. Like I think 
they are kind of separate. That's why he's able to go and do all these other things. And yeah. And just be himself. a drummer, you know, yeah. and just be a lead guitar player, you know, and not having to worry about being the singer, or the creative song source yeah. behind it. It's like, I can just go be a musician. So that is a good point saying that he's very separated as a musician himself from Queens of Stone Age because it became its own monster. If you Exactly. Will. Like he, you know, maybe he, he did villains, but that's, like that's that mood of the band at this time. Maybe it, it is a self-reflection of him as an artist, but maybe it's also a more of a group since concise of like, we're all kind of going in this direction. Right. I'm not taking the reins and saying, Hey, everyone wear leather jackets and comb your hair or, you know, pump your hair back, give this like greaser look. That's not, that's maybe what he's doing. And like, I don't know. You get what I'm saying? Like yeah. I think what like everyone was on the same page when they did Songs for the Deaf. And, everyone was on the same yeah. page when they did Lullabies. Like and, we're and all why those members moved out, why Nick is no longer yeah. in the band is because of some of those things as well, where it's like well, you move past where the band is and for the band's sakes they have to keep going. So you have to, as he put it in the greatest way, pull that tooth instead of ripping off the jaw. Yeah. So instead of destroying everything, you just pull the bad tooth that's causing the problem mm -hmm. and, and keep it going. And it's what every band has gone through in, in, in good and bad ways, you know, like separating from members, uh, moving past them and, and it, bad blood happening because of that. But it's really important for a band to do that because this band might have to, again, they can take risks and Liberty, but if you're not on the same path as this band, then it doesn't really work. You know, yeah. it, it's going to be hard to, right with you it's going to be hard to tour and and so on and so or forth i mean you just may not be down for the image that's like, too. it's just you like know? i'm not going to force you to like something or so everyone has to be 100 percent exactly. in this so and like that's what makes these if, if everyone's great. like all their albums are great you know even though i don't yeah you can pick and choose as a fan uh any listeners out there would probably be like i only like the first three albums i get that but like, you love those first three, so you love the band, mm -hmm. even though you're not really too interested in what they're doing nowadays. Like um, just lullabies, for example, that time in um, their as a band is kind of like the spooky phase. Like even the DVD that came out, yeah, it was a bunch had, of lambs like, masks like, and wolves, like, and then even know? the music videos very were like very like yeah, like dark spooky, fable, yeah, wooded. Like so, they had that theme Brothers carry Glamish out vibe. throughout everything they did pretty much up until era, which then it was like real comic booky. It was real poppy. It's like colors and like everything was real bland with lullabies. Now it's like the complete opposite. We need like fun. Yeah. Cartoon characters. The songs yeah. are even fun and wacky. I think some of the music videos had car was a cartoon. I think, I think one so. of them was, yeah, man, it's been so long, uh, um, but let's get back to a little bit more about this oh, uh, uh, album. And, um, when I was saying before, uh, Mark being like, you know, uh, mm. a big part of this singing, uh, uh, vocal part for the song, I was wrong. It wasn't, it's not autopilot. It's actually, uh, in the fade, which is a very popular song. And it's one of those songs that people will be like, you know, they're definitely going to play it if you're listening to this podcast right now and we're definitely not going to play it. So <laughs> go listen to the album yourself. We pick the songs, go fuck yourself. Uh, but that being said, it's, it was a difficult uh, choice to be made when we were picking out songs. For fuck's sakes, man. You know, it's a great album, every song. So um, I just wanted to bring up a little bit of that so we can all kind of hear it. I, I, 
We're not playing the whole thing, okay, people? Uh. And right from the get-go, you're like, I remember the song. Cracks in a ceiling Crooked pictures in the hall hear that change from eerie to wow what is this you know yeah it was very uh how to put it it was like very uh heartfelt and tragic in some ways and you're like this is gonna be a really sad song and then that drum beat kicks in and it just well, the, the bass line's like really happy the sun just came out you know what I mean? it's like real funky uh, so bass good. Line. Yeah. yeah and it gives me goosebumps listening to that song because i you forget you know sometimes you always think uh oh yeah uh feel good here this summer that album no in the fade it's like autopilot these are the songs that are just like what queens of stone age is going to carry on throughout you know getting a lot of troubles with the drug thing and always when someone sees something once and and especially for the first time that's what you associate it with so if that was your first experience with queens of stone age hearing the feel good hit that's how you represent them you know oh that drug fueled crazy band yeah no no the the well thought out very interesting and um, in-depth band, in my opinion. Um, at times where like some of these songs can like bring you to tears if you were in a right mindset, you know what I mean? You're like, damn. Yeah. Damn. And um, that's one of those songs that we wanted to talk a little bit about uh, because of later on Mark just becoming a part of the band and uh, being like having three vocals, you know, to really play around with. Yeah. To go on to create like uh, songs for the death. And then um, you told me from the song we were just listening to, not to confuse anyone, but uh, the song we just played, Autopilot, that um, Josh played the drums, recorded the drum track for that. And again, I'm just now figuring this out. I'm like, wait, what? He did what? He's a, a great musician all the way around because that that's just a great drum part. You know what I mean? Just, yeah, it's very simple, but it, it just fit the song perfect, you know? And, um, I'm I'm always surprised. I'm just like, God damn it! You're you're a great singer. You're a great guitar player, and you can just fucking play drums. Well, fuck me. Well, fuck me. You know? Yeah. Well, that's in looking at like specifically this album, and looking at like the collaborators. That's where it's like you have a shit ton of guest musicians that are basically you know doing a lot of backing vocals, like a lot of backing vocals. You have like weird instruments. Um, um, so now we're going to just kind of start talking about some of the technical end yeah. of stuff, you know, um, get into it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so that this album in particular recorded in, uh, sound city, Van Nuys, California. So we talked about that one. Sound city. Sound city. That's the famous documentary. Oh, that's, I don't know why that hasn't come up before, uh, on other albums, but go on. Well, just probably, be, I mean, it is weird that we're, this is one of the first albums we're talking about. That is. Yeah, that's what um, I was thinking. We haven't done a Foo Fighters, I that. guess. But I guess, true, <laughs> If you once we start talking about some other... Once we get into rock and roll. You know, we could actually reference the, the documentary Sound City. Um, 
yeah, uh, Fleetwood Mac, um, just some artists that have recorded there. Grateful All Dead, pretty much rock Cheap and roll Transformer, bands. Tom Petty. I mean, we haven't gotten to any of these um, episodes. And then, um, there's bands like Santana, Fear, stuff like that. Um, Fear. Yeah. Well, I mean that they had a pretty that documentary like pretty laid it out like the history of the studio and the board so it has this iconic sound so that's what's gonna lead to this band this album carrying weight as far as like sonically still sounding really good yeah like to today's standards um but you know that um just a very famous studio. So if anyone wants to, we, you know, we're, we'll probably do an episode on that studio alone at some point, but yeah. Um, and talk about it definitely in the future, but check out that documentary from Dave Grohl. So, and then check out the album too. Yeah. And the album. great collaborations. Oh, yeah, the album. Uh, I would suggest looking him up on I think YouTube. He's, I think they do uh Josh Homme, Trent Reznor, yeah. Dave Grohl. It's like a crazy, yeah, those three. And they yeah. do like my favorite song. There's, there's a song yeah. with a uh, fucking, um, motherfucker from Slipknot, Corey Taylor, and it's awesome. You know, it's like, <laughs> no, it's like you know how Corey sings, and you don't want Corey to sing, and you're yeah. like, Corey, go back to screaming. You know, fuck Stone Sour. You know, like how I feel. Okay, maybe other people feel this way, but he can actually sing. And when there's a good song behind him, a really good song by like some great musicians, oh man, it's even better. You know what I mean? It's because it fits. Because I don't feel like when he sings on Slipknot that it fits because Slipknot's a metal band. So it gets kind of weird, in my opinion. But if he wanted to just do rock and roll, like having someone like Josh Homme, Trent Reznor, and Dave Grohl behind you, you're going to look pretty good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Damn, I didn't. I don't remember the Corey Taylor song. I have to go back. It's really good. Yeah. It was like track eight. But I, I, I looked at like they did a live like uh, versions where like they all, all the musicians uh, were there. Yes, I remember in. that. Yeah, they so, were in the studio room. Yeah, 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 exactly. So the Corey Taylor one. Actually, this sh- might be in the yeah. documentary. I was going to say, I think it shows them recording it. And stuff. <laughs> it's been 10 years yeah. since I watched that documentary. Sure. Um, so yeah, the Dunn and Van Nuys at that studio. Um, let's see, recording dates. Uh, December to March. December 1999 to March 2000. And the album comes out in June. Uh, which is pretty quick turnaround when it comes to like you know, yeah. finishing it, printing it, getting it all ready to go for you know, exactly what they wanted. Like an, a couple month turnaround as far as. Uh, yeah. And then we have, it's produced by Josh Homme and Chris Gross, who is a um, uh, producer and musician. He's just known basically for Caius and Queens of Stone Age albums, but he's kind of like the. Um, he also did their first album as well. Yeah, he's he's kind of like this guy in the desert rock scene that does all these that bands and helps. He's oh, also you want to oh, listen to some interviews with that guy uh, <laughs> because he uh, just loves to point out the time frame of things where it's like it's a lot of new metal at this time and it just sounds like a bunch of grasshoppers to me. I was like, okay, uh, yeah. but he hated he didn't want any like one to grab. Queens of Stone Age and change the way they sound. He's like, I know exactly what the they need to sound yeah. like. You know what I mean? He's uh, credited as the Godfather of Desert Rock. Um, so he has a he's um, he's in another band or in his main band, basically Masters of Reality. If anyone's ever heard of the band, I have. Um, 
So he's pretty good. Yeah. Lead of that. Um, and it looks like he's done some other, you know, associated acts here and there, but basically one of the driving forces behind this desert rock scene and kind of, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, because he helped mold and he was there like, uh, making the scene like thrive and bringing these bands uh, literally up out of the desert, you know, to mainstream status. So um, he did help out with their first. And he's pretty much helped out with every album, maybe not on a producing end, but just as a collaborator in some way um, on basically every album up until like Clockwork. He's had a hand in. Yeah, like Stu. Clockwork had a whole new approach. That's what, So yeah, um, basically band members that carried on from previous album were only to this album was only Mike Johnson and Chris and Dave catching was the only ones that carried over from that first album of collaborators. Yeah. But this album, and, and I believe Nick wasn't even wasn't on the first out. album. He it was just the, yeah. helped with some stuff. I believe he sung a song. Uh, no, played he, a song. He, something. He, it's weird. He's on. He's in the album, but it's only uh, an answering machine message. Oh, at the very of end, him that's saying it. he would join Queens of Stony. <laughs> so and it's supposed he, to. He's kind of like one of the founding members too, because uh, maybe you didn't know, but uh, Nick Oliveira. Did I say that right? Fuck, I probably not. Uh, leave a comment below. Uh, left uh, was in chaos. 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 Yeah, chaos. Uh, yeah. Chaos. 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 Oh, like in the band, the Screaming Trees, you know, working on their stuff. He just did this by himself. He sung all the songs. And then you said, uh, Chris, 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 uh, G O S S. So yeah. I'm going to say ghosts or goss. Okay. One of those. Um, yeah. And what did he do on, oh, he's helped with Screaming Trees as well. Some, in some ways. A drummer? Uh, what he's did he do in Queens of Stone Age? Yeah. Oh, well, just on this album, he just helped produce, I believe, on Rated uh-huh. R. He was the producer. Let me see if he has any other edits here. Uh, oh, yes, backing vocals on um, the song we just listened to, Autopilot. So he has some backing vocals on there, on three songs, actually. Plays grand piano on um, Feel Good Hit of Summer, so that ding, 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 ding. Oh, <laughs> piano. That's, he's credited for that. Yeah, so that's him. <laughs> Hitting that uh, piano line, and then um, uh, noise piano on track two, which was "Lost Art of Keeping a Secret." Bass on track four, which was, was a "Jack of All Trades." Autopilot. So autopilot, he did singing and bass, which is, and Josh played drums. Yeah. So it's like a whole new band. <laughs> they just all switched instruments around. It's like, all right, we're gonna have the producer come in. The bass and sing. <laughs> We're gonna have this uh, one of my friends sing back up with me on this. I'm gonna play drums and sing the song. Um, who the fuck played guitar on that song? Was there even a guitar? No, let's see. I can probably find out real quick who did that. Um, so Josh did not play guitar on that song. I don't know. 
Yeah, uh, I'm going to actually look through and find out that because that is uh, pretty interesting. But just uh, continuing on with some of the notes here. Um, So yeah, producer Chris and Josh, it's about a 42-minute album, um, and it was released on June 6th, 2000, so this is making it its 20th anniversary month. Yeah, 20 years. 20 years. Uh, pretty big. Pretty, I mean, makes sense. Still, um, I would think this album was older. You know what I mean? Because if, how yeah. I found it, you would think it would be older than just. You know, you yeah. think it'd be way down the line, and that feels like really close to home in some ways. Because even talking about like the Gojira or the fucking Primus, it wasn't until like you know, ninety eight. 2000 2001 it was like well, that's when these bands finally came i thought you know and they've been a band ever since 1987 yeah. <laughs> and it's like what the fuck nick played guitar on that song so yeah it was the band basically switching around told you a whole band yeah. how about you play bass and i'll play <laughs> yeah and then you get a whole new song a whole different song and it probably just comes from going in there and jamming you yeah. know and then everyone just having their own part to play in making this song happen. Yeah. Um, and then the album did go through several cover rewrites. Um, the alternate cover uh, was red and had the X on it. Yeah, yeah and, and then say, we got the deluxe version yeah. that has that one. Now the deluxe, but yeah, the double deluxe, <laughs> double yeah. X. Double, double yeah, X. it's got the RX prescription sort of thing at the top. Um, um, so, yeah, and then as far as... You know, we could go down the list of collaborators. It's very long, so I suggest you know anyone super famous. I mean, we got your Rob Halfords, of course. Every every person on here has like a a a resume to some sort. Like you have um, just to name something, like Barrett Martin, who's uh, a Latin Grammy producer, winning producer. Um, he's in Skin Yard, Screaming Trees, Mad Season. Um, he's played on REMs, um, on REM albums. You have Mark Lanigan, like we said, from Screaming Trees. Um, Mike Johnson, who is, uh, he was uh, Dinosaur Jr. for a little bit. Um, Peter Stahl. So who the fuck played drums on this album? Who played drums? I mean, everybody. Yeah, (laughs) apparently. Because I was like, there wasn't a drummer, was there? You have uh, Nick Lucero, who's basically credited as the drummer for like five songs. Gene Trotman, the drummer for uh, four songs. And he did uh, Eagles of Death Metal, uh, Queens of Stone Age, Miracle Workers. So he's just kind of a fill-in drummer what else he's done damn it's another one of those albums with uh multiple drummers and just really uh, again bringing in the the people to create your idea he might have done some Caius and stuff too so um yeah there's that so you have two two main drummers on like a big chunk of the album and then basically you have josh doing that one song and autopilot Like one or maybe one or two people. There's a lot of percussion tracks also, which could be somebody just hitting. Yeah, hit this symbol. There's some layers. The yeah, here, there's man. a lot of layers. Yeah. So, 
Um, There's like I, weird voices I was hearing, especially listening to uh, Monster do, in the Parasol. Like they, he was throwing something in my they uh, shout out to B headphones. No, like um, <clears throat> the vocals on like the last song we were listening to, you hear like a soft in the left ear, you yeah. hear like a higher in the right, and then you hear one in the overall so there's like three voices coming through almost oh man i took a headphone <laughs> out earlier listening to this album i was like yeah. this doesn't sound right it does at start all to, yeah so they're <laughs> very back in. oh there it is very sonically like they have this like a uh, picture they're painting so that's where it's like you have all these people literally the list is you know, 20 people deep and it's like these are all just these aren't even people these are guest musicians god i would love so to just like uh just to see like um you know a fucking a classic album breakdown, if you will, uh, in studio watching them do this because of how they did it, you know, especially if we got deeper into this, like talking about their panning and how they throw like the bass is only in the left, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And then they'll slam it all the way to the right when the chorus hits. It's, it's, it just flies past your head yeah. in and out. You're like, ow. I think this is the start <laughs> of that too, where you get that Desert Sessions feel where he's like, just ting in the studio yeah. kind of. And uh, um, Chaos always, uh, I'm not going to say that name right, um, <laughs> they always had a huge sound, you know, yeah. especially recording on how they did record, like how they did record. I it was huge sounding, and yeah. it still sounds huge today, you know, with no remastered. And let, it, it, I mean, the album's not saying remastered, you know, it's the remastered one. No, I've never seen that really for them, but it was oh. always just that album was always like that, you know. Well, this the Stone Age uh, rated R always been like that. No. Yeah, this one did get remastered, and we'll go. Son of a so, bitch! But to you know, very few. There's not very many like Queens of Stone Age remasters because they're like pretty locked in sounding. Yeah. Um, I know. I, I believe the first album had some remastering work done multiple times. Oh, really? And re-releases because the, oh, there was that. Like the album, album went out of print. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The they album even went out of print. Yeah. Uh, it was only like running for five years and they didn't reprint it. And it wasn't until like 2000 and whatever the fuck, like there's probably 12. I think they started reprinting these albums again. Yeah. They I may remember have like pulled, remastered yeah. some of them. We'll have to. And it's weird because that album has been pulled off my Spotify multiple times. It's been pulled and then re uploaded, you know, like aging of the guard, <laughs> just passing on the, the copyrights. I don't know what's going on. I thought he owned it. Um, to finish off all the, personnel and stuff you got a bradley cook engineer martin schmetzzi as the engineer sequencing assembly uh trina shoemaker uh who's the engineer mixer um and she um uh, has done bands like cheryl crow um nancy griffith uh, queens of stone age so Kind of a weird yeah, resume. They said that was like, why would you have her come in to do work? And it's like she Dixie just, chicks, you yeah, know, she's she done. just said uh she was very she was a very fun <laughs> uh woman or lady, whatever. Yeah. A fun person. Um Jesus, I'm we're, we're getting this podcast shut down. Um uh just a fun person to work with. And that's why he was saying, like, she's you know, they met long before and it just <laughs> happened to be like Hey, why don't you come in here? You want a bunch of yeah. Grammys for Cheryl Crow, so it's like it's it's a weird one, yeah, but so is one. the Rob Halford, where he's just like 
he's next door and you're like, hey, Rob, would you be interested in uh, singing on one of our songs? And he, not even knowing what the song was, fucking, yeah. uh, you know, said, sure. He came in, he wrote <laughs> down the lyrics, uh, get in marijuana, ecstasy, and alcohol, and then in real big cocaine. <laughs> and then he gave it to him and he was like, oh, it's rock and roll cocktail. I think <laughs> I invented that back in the day, actually. Um, Fun stories. Dan Duff, um, who did the guitar work, or actually is the guitar technician for the album. I guess with really, you had other people playing other instruments like, you know, bass and some stringed instruments and stuff, but like lap steel, <clears throat> guitars like that. But I think probably just mainly worked on Nick's and Josh's instruments, but probably did handle all of those other wacky experimental things that they were having to do the lap steel guitar and all this other stuff so just guitar tech uh dan duff and he's done um distillers monster magnet some 41 slayer he's kind of done guitar tech work for a lot of bands makes it easier yeah. for the musicians shout out to that guy no fucking unsung hero right dandruff there. dandruff dandruff oh <laughs> that changed your name Gonna call you Duff. It's Daniel James Irving, but they call him Dandruff. <laughs> um, and then you got we'll finish it up with Merrick, who uh um who did the noise on track eight. So the song in the fade, that weird creepy noise, they're actually yeah. crediting him. So he's he what was, was he, that? He was actually one of the mixers on the album. I don't know what it was, but he's credited as uh, the noise. So he made the noise sound. Yeah. Uh, created you just it feel like something's gonna happen at any probably moment. like you're like oh. did something like you know in the board or something i don't know uh robert bruner pre-production assistant and then francesca restrepo who is the art direct who did art direction so the whole idea for the rated r probably you know, had some influence from her or at least helped them visualize it in a way yeah, because it can be, that album could be very busy. There's a lot of writing, very small at the bottom. You know, <laughs> it it You're does. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's really, but it's very clean, reminiscent of like you're saying that, album, though. that old retro movie thing. Yeah, so there's like a lot of fine print and a lot of just I can't read that. You didn't. Yeah, <laughs> printing wasn't that good back then. <laughs> it's simple, but it makes it interesting because you pick it up and you're like, oh. no. Um. So critical. What well, critically, album did very well. Like pretty much. Four out of five stars unanimously. You have a few fives. Got to go on some tours for yeah. this one. Rolling Stone gave it a 3.5, but, you know, Spin is a four. Pitchfork. Three out of five? Rolling Stone? Yeah. Pitchfork, who is usually. Like a goddamn letter, kinda, you right know. Now. And what did Pitchfork say? They gave it? it an 8.6 out of 10. So, you know what I mean? They're weird. Oh, just because it was like, <laughs> it's, it it's was artsy. weird and it was it's unique. Yeah. <laughs> It was really thinking about what it is that we do when we play music or listen to it. But like uh, all music gave it a five out of five. Mojo, five out of five. And NME, nine out of ten. So it's uh, Rolling Stone named it the 82nd best album of the decade. Jesus Christ. Uh, Rhapsody called it the best rock album of the decade on its rock albums of the decade list. So for it did leave a mark. You know, I think it was it that. Created. Um, it was yeah, critically acclaimed. Um, they said uh, Steve Huey from All Music said it's <clears throat> mellower, trippier, and more arranged than its predecessor, making its point through warm, fuzzy guitar tones. Uh, 
ethereal harmonies, uh, vibraphones, horns, and even an odd steel drum that might alienate listeners who have come to expect crunchier guitar attack, but even though it's not really aggro, Rated R is still far heavier than the garage punk and and grunge that inform much of the record. Uh, It's still got the vaunted Arizona desert vibes of Caius, but it evokes more relaxed, spacious twilight feel as opposed to a high meltdown. Uh, Mark Lanigan and Barrett Martin of the Screaming Trees both appear on multiple tracks and the band's psychedelic uh, and their band's psychedelic grunge warmer, less noisy moments is actually not a bad point of comparison. Kind of comparison, comparing it to some aspects of Screaming Trees, <clears throat> which kind of makes right. sense because yeah. everybody's they're on Jam this on. big melting pot here, yeah, yeah. right? So they're all going to kind of sound the same. Not not in that in that sense where they all oh copy and paste, but that it's like you feel the vibes. Yeah, get the like. Yeah, this album shows you uh, how heavy something can be uh, without it being metal, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. It heavy need to is be a different. Like, yeah, can be considered something. You can start thinking about something being heavy in a different way than always using it for like metal. It was heavy metal, but this is heavy too on a different scale. You know, I think that's kind of where they got that Ozfest thing you know what i mean where it's like now may have some songs that are not heavy quote unquote with crunchy guitars but the album as a whole is heavier than your last one so you are establishing establishing yourself kind of as like this heavy metal band yeah and a rock band too like i think they get more they queens of stonies has always done a good job of like being rock and roll but getting like really heavy when they need to some I metal mean, they, I mean, they have songs in for our MC. next song is going to be quick and to the point. Yeah. And that's one of those songs. That one's a little bit more punky, but it, it still explodes. Yeah. You know? Well, he writes songs in, like in Drop C explodes. and stuff. And that's like what? Death metal band. You know? Yeah. Like playing on these weird low tunings, but they're like. Makes nice it very songs. stoner metal. Very, very stoner metal. Desert rock, if but you like, will. When he wants to drive it and like go off it can sound really fucking like high on fire-ish yeah it's just like big and crunchy and but then when he wants to get all soft turns down to distortion and it can still sound real thick and heavy because he's so you know it's his his voice is really the thing that's like what sets it the highs Um, when we're turning on the distortion if you will or the or the softness the sultry you know what i mean he can get real like sexy quote unquote <laughs> There's a lot of a lot of females into love some Josh Homme. Uh, uh, yeah. Pretty good looking man for being 54. I was like, holy shit! Famously married to Brody Dale, not anymore. That they broke up. I thought they did, right? I don't know. They were going through some problems. Aren't <laughs> we all did. fucking quarantine? Fucking pandemic. <laughs> Jesus well, Christ! No, no personal stuff in here, but they were married. Save it for the fun they facts. were married at some point. Save it for the fun, fun facts. facts. Okay. So, yeah, um, pretty much everything with this album was a home run. They did do a 2010 reissue, which, like, we were talking about that uh, brought back the red artwork. 
added uh, an additional 10 songs, yeah, whole covers, CD, live songs, B-sides, yeah, covers. Alternate versions of songs, Born to Hula. Yeah, was it find one of those. Desert Session song, you got, yeah, it's, uh, from the uh, live, uh, live songs from their Red- Reading Festival. A very famous yeah. festival. If no one knows about it, I believe it's over in Europe. They always have the best. Yeah. Ugh, the <laughs> pop festival. Yeah. Well, I mean, we should probably get into our next uh-huh. song like and then we'll go through some fun facts. Enough, you know? yeah. Let's see. What are we going with today? We wanted to pick something heavy. Uh, oh, yeah. Hence why we picked our songs that we did. We had to show all the things. I wanted to play. I feel like I just wanted to play the entire album Night yeah. and Talk, but you know, you could do that already on Spotify. Yeah. You can just click over and listen to the album right now. And you don't need to hear any of this bullshit that I'm saying. Again, follow us on YouTube at Bangover Productions, Instagram at Bangover Productions if you want some more of our bullshit. Um, and if you go to T Public, T Public, just type it in, find us Bangover Productions. You can get some, some of our shirts. shirts. Yeah. Some pretty cool shirts. The, we'll get more, but mug, you know, this is the basis. The mug with the. The microphone that looks really cool. Yeah, the like have like the, bang, little, yeah. the bang over <laughs> really podcast cool. logo. Yeah, be very cool. Oh, great. we we need two. Yeah, so we can just drink mugs, coffee yeah. as we record these motherfuckers. So uh, yeah, go get your mug and t-shirt on and listen to. Yeah, and if you follow us on Instagram, <laughs> I'll be posting more about it. Uh, Facebook, find us at Bangover yeah. ATX. Blah blah blah. But let's get into the song, and we'll be back with more of the facts, <laughs> just the fun ones, really. What I'm doing here. That's one of those songs that just came out of nowhere when I first heard this album. You know, you thought it was going somewhere, uh, a different place from songs prior, from the songs before. <laughs> but when that motherfucker kicks in, you're like, holy shit, yeah. this is out of nowhere. And you only it's get like different. a minute and 30 seconds. So, yeah. it's And it's Nick singing. It's kind of one of those like crazy, I would, I would almost say it's like the punk rock song. Yeah. Because. 
feel good hit of summer is kind of like that too, where it's like really repeat, you know, it's short in the sense of it's only just this riff. Yeah. It's like just that over and over again. And it's just like balls to the wall. I'm going to give you something that <clears> it's like, uh, like a, a drug, you know, it just hits you right in those yeah. endorphins that endorphins start dripping and you're like, fuck, I want to hear that again. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it was only a minute and 30. I can I can rewind that, you know, <laughs> one more time. Uh, I think Josh had talked about it, too. Like, the songwriting, it was, like, really mechanical or something. Like, like he talked about, like, how previous songs and albums, they were just very, like, straightforward in that sense. You know what I mean? Where yeah. it's just, like, it was just a riff. Very, like, now they've gotten to be these really complex pieces of music. In a, in a way... I would say the the ones that still hit the radio are more like simple, more first chorus verse sort setup, but still layered, yeah. layered in their like pieces. Um, yeah, it it just seems like it, it did start to get from that just punk rock garage playing, which was like the first Queens of Stone Age album. Then you get this album, which is like a blend of like them going into a studio and like taking that vibe but kind of still and just the the collaborating yeah, and the, what we were talking around, about prior yeah. you know it's like layers people so many layers here no that was possible until now um or it's just really fun to like hear some of these things or find out some of those facts where it's like that was rob alford singing you're like what you know or he played drums in on this and you're like it you know mm-hmm. And I hope that's why you guys listen to this podcast is for little yeah. fun things like that. Find out together. Break friends. down the wall of information. And- yeah. And also give a, our little insights and just, you know, how we feel about some things, oh, yeah. you know, because I mean, we lived through are, that. You we know, lived through the, this band trajectory. And everything I mean? we've talked about is uh, something we really care about every band. I you think know? we have good point of reference for, not only living it, but being a fan. We were, we witnessed the history and we yeah. also like, we got to go to, to stubs yeah. and watch them with like a handful of fucking people who, you know, and now it's like, good luck. That'd be like a $250 ticket. Oh yeah. Sure. Oh yeah. So here, here's that, uh, quote. So this is from Josh Homme with the fade. Um, there's a robotic element to all our albums, and like the repetition of riffs uh, we always wanted to do a record that had a lot of dynamic range. Set it up in this band. Don't want to get roped in by our own music. Good song, regardless of style, we should be able to. That really, great. Yeah. That really sums up what this album is. Like he got yeah. all these people. If you got a good song, bring it to the table and we'll, I'll play drums. Cause that's what it calls for. Yeah, and everyone has to be in on that idea yeah, too exactly. because it's a scary concept. You know, you rather just have your stick to your niche, be this band. I'm the drummer, you're the guitar player, you write a riff, I create drums for it, vocals, just, we're done. You know, it's like, ugh, no, it's like, it's very loose and open and free. very frightening at times. Have the best musicians, you know, or people that are just that are uh, open to do it. Yeah, they need to be works open well to with, the idea. you know. Um, so I'm going to get into some fun facts I learned oh, yeah? about this. So yeah, besides the whole Queens of Stone Age, or I mean, Josh Homme, Brody Dale thing, which is kind of personal, but that's a pretty fun fact. You know, Check out the Alligator together. Hour. They were together. They've even performed music together. Credited as a guest. 
Queens of Stone Age albums. So pretty, I would say, influential in the band. And it was Fun like, to bring up. It was a, a very iconic uh, couple, uh, yes. you know, because rock, you have rock. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, dude. You remember, and it was so funny because they said it, it because of that. I used to have this uh, Rolling Stones magazine where it was like the whole page was just covered. Like people were like, Lee was on there and there was uh, James Headfield yeah. and Brody Dale. And it was just like all the people from that year that came out with like albums that were bangers or whatever. And uh, Josh Homme, and that's where they first met. And in the picture, he's kind of like has his arm around her or something. But it was like her, she was still married to um, Buckface from... Uh, rancid at this time oh. so it was like uh something happened chemistry you know yeah. they, they just saw each other and it was like we, it worked if you go that's back, where it comes from is that magazine shoot yeah it's crazy you know and i think we didn't we dive more into this on the distillers episode i believe so it was at we, the end of our fun facts there and i believe you know we probably talked about it in our decades episode probably. as well so yeah i mean one more information go check out yeah check that one out into this all of this too um so yeah they were fun little couple there um i hope the best for them they figure (laughs) it out um let's see um so yeah during uh this this tour for this album kind of got is pretty controversial because there's a lot of ups and downs with it you know what i mean Uh, the band gets to play overseas in these gigantic forty thousand. Yeah, because England places, got the idea of what they were doing before you know, America did. It so, didn't even catch on to America. This album didn't do very well when it first came out. I don't believe here, but well, over in England, right? It was like fucking, well, they not, got it. I don't know if it was reception-wise, but it, it's just the, uh, that's the audience there. You know, always playing to like a fuck ton of people. because yeah. it's like, and, it, and British humor is very much that same way where it's very crude at times. Yeah. Like, like Life of Brian, you know, that whole... Yeah, where it's like a no holds bar, and the people over there just get that sense of humor. They get the feel good hit of the summer, that sense think, of humor, yeah. that rock and roll mentality. When people over here, it's like the two thousands, and we're well, still reflecting on things like Columbine. You know what I mean? So I think, or the nineties is still there with the whole stamp, like we were talking about earlier. Yeah, parental advisory. The the album opened up them to be more. Uh, festival kind of like to the walmart credit and stuff you know they were able to play with bands like smashing pumpkin Ozfest, the Ozfest thing because um, of this album isn't and that crazy that opened them up for these big uh venues in europe big you know rock am rock and rio and rock and wherever where it's like huge festivals and now you can play maybe you're not headlining but you're doing the middle day slot to yeah, forty thousand people still. It's and like, they're yeah, oh my god, yeah. yeah. And they just love this shit, you know. People oh, yeah, there totally. eat it up. Um, so during this time, two thousand one, Rock and Rio, um, Nick Oliveri gets arrested in Brazil. Drugs, performing naked. He, I remember uh, that. Yeah, he. There's famous photos and stuff. Um, he it was gets, yeah in a Rolling Stones magazine yeah. in an article. He I had a, his base covering was the only thing covering him up, um, and then he. What the fucking. He got arrested and they. Buckfaces did it and Red Hot Chili Peppers. Rage Against the Machine's done it in protest. It's because it was here in America that they did it. It is America. Because Brazil is like, yeah, you can't do that. Yeah, probably that. (laughs) So he gets arrested and then he said uh, he apologized to the officials because he said he didn't know that. Yeah, we didn't know. It was Brazil. I thought 
naked women. Yeah. yeah. So oh, it's designated naked areas, probably. Probably. But um, so yeah, that was the start of that. And then um they then go play this other big festival in Germany, Rock Am Ring, which there's two in Germany. There's you may have heard of them. There's Rock Am Ring and Rock Im Park. Uh, Rock Am Ring is actually Germany's huge music festival that takes place in the Nuremberg racetrack. Yeah, they were trying to uh, keep revenue Nuremberg, sorry, yeah. not Nuremberg. And they created this whole tourist attraction around the Nuremberg Ring yeah. to try to keep it alive because they uh, it, it's been going bankrupt. They don't make a lot of money. It's crazy. There's a lot of upkeep on this road. I'm, I'm really into the racing. Yeah. I just learned about this, so that's kind of crazy you said that. So yeah, there's there's this huge festival that takes place um in, in, in the actual Nuburing or Nuremberg. Nuremberg. Um and it's uh where they they played um it was towards the end of their tour. So they played there and according to everybody in the band, it was the worst show they've ever played and it was in front of 40,000 people. They didn't get it? Germ- they, Germans no, didn't like, get it? No, yeah. like they just I think sucked. Or I don't know. I don't know why <clears throat> this why is it was so bad. This is a this is their this is Nick Oliveri's uh, quote from Air Devil magazine interviewed about it. They said it was uh, me, Mark, uh, Josh, and Hutch, our sound man, have the same tattoo. It's from Rock and Ring Festival. The time we had to play was four fifteen in the afternoon, and it was just a terrible show. It sucked. It was horrible. Why I tattooed it on my ribs, I'd never forget it. So everybody in the band has this 415 uh, free tug. Maybe it's just hot as balls. It doesn't sound right. The crowd's not uh, best of moods, maybe. Because and I've seen Queens of Stone Age play like in the middle of the, the sun. And it's like, yeah. it is kind of what you want, though. They fit the, they fit, <laughs> they it, fit you know? that I, desert. I want like, it to like dusk, you know, if, yeah. like, the sun's going down. They do fit that like warm sweat in your fucking face desert vibe that they always pull off so maybe it just wasn't what i'm imagining is it's like this is not our atmosphere a fucking racetrack and there's people fucking everywhere i just like i can already like little breeze to like early in their career too they they didn't have the bangers that they could pull out to pull in the audience i don't think it was them i mean it's towards the end of the tour so they're probably firing on all yeah that's my guess, but you could be the opposite. It could be they're playing horribly because they're tired as fuck. Yeah, um, that too. So, um, so that would that those are a few little fun things from the tour of the album, um, and then just you know little things like we've kind of already talked about with Mark Lanigan officially joining the band after this album, um, them carrying over some people from this album to the next album, which commercial success songs for the deaf carried over Nick, uh, Gene Trotman, who, um, was that drummer we were talking about that did basically a lot of yeah, songs on so this. So he was in songs for the deaf. So he was Dave Garol. Yeah. So he probably, I mean, drum tech for Dave Garol. <laughs> <laughs> Just drum tech. No, um, yeah, you get, uh, the Mark Land, um, Basically, that's it, you know, besides our main guys. Dave Catching also. Let me see what that dude did. For some- 
catching? No, the uh, the drummer dude. Brought, oh. um, Don't ask me. <laughs> I'm like seeing so many names. Yeah. Oh, Gene Trotman. Trying to see what he did. Songs he did drums on tracks one and eight, which were, you think, so the first song you think I ain't worth, worth a dollar, but I feel like he did the drums on that, and he did the drums for Go With The Flow. Really? So. so you it, In the music video, it's like definitely the silhouette of Dave Grohl playing Go With The Flow. It, Dave Grohl is credited for drums and percussion. It just says the additional musicians drums. From Gene, drums on tracks one and eight. So he did. Weird. It could mean he did the drums. It could mean he did drums. It could mean that because I'm thinking about those songs, it could be double drums mixed in a certain way because Go With The Flow has this uh, hi-hat thing that it, it, me like trying to cover that song as a drummer, I'm like, how the fuck do you keep your wrist moving like that for fucking three and a half minutes? So it could be something like that, and especially in Millionaire, it's such a crazy song too, where it just explodes, you know. And I, you can barely hear what's going on because the album's turned up to like a hundred, you know, constantly. It's the loudest album ever. Millionaire also has the the iconic drum, again, right? Oh, and that's a different song. Oh, what is that song? Yeah. What am that's, I thinking? That's of? like song four. I think oh, it's song for the dead, not song for the dead. Sorry. Yeah. So uh, that's actually funny. Uh, you brought up that drum part because uh, Dave Garol has definitely said that uh, he ripped that off from a Black Flag song. I wonder what song that could have been. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe uh, My War. <laughs> yeah. Because we were covering that too. And, you know, we, we were like, yeah, we'll, we'll cover My War and then we'll fill out the set. And then uh, listening to it, I'm like, what? fuck am I going to do? I'm yeah. the drummer. This is nuts, dude. Because this is such an iconic drum part. I didn't even realize that, you know? Covered and heard multiple times over and <laughs> over again. It's it's just, it's very unique. Yeah. Well, that is interesting to learn. That Those are like iconic Those are the, songs. the yeah. singles as well, where you're like, wait. It was also funny to hear like um, Dave Grohl talk about like, getting back to playing drums after eight years, like just shaking off everything else and like working out to be able to play drums again, because he goes on tour with them as well. And um, it was just a good experience for Dave to do. And after that, uh, Dave was like starting to branch out and guest star on multiple albums, like a killing joke album, which was one of my favorite killing joke albums. He came in and did some stuff and then we get ProBot, you know what I mean? So, it wasn't until like songs for the death that like Dave Garol himself branched out and become this musician. I think yeah, you know songs what I mean? for the death. Like that, how Josh Homme is as well. He's a musician. Could, yeah, he's a did create this name, this figure. Yeah, um, and you are already you know it's like he's iconic for being a drummer of Nirvana. But so you know like, it's going to be amazing. You know. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's got all those accolades like we kind of went through with like the best album of the decade of all that type of stuff. As far as like a final notes, um, I think it, to the point of like the re-releases, it still holds up. Now, Sonic wise, favorite Queens of Stone Age album, but it's one I do. 
like to listen to a lot because it's got good songs on it. But um, I could see how it's kind of divisive and like, you know well, what I mean? We had the argument, not the argument, but the choice of doing uh, like clockwork or rated R. Maybe another one. I think maybe Volaris was in there. It they like all three, came out at yeah. the same time. Um, and I was like, dude, fucking, you know, like clockwork. Like, that is their masterpiece. That is what makes them. But to be honest, you're definitely more right on doing Rated R because Rated R has more to talk about to where we get to push off and know from where the Queens of Stone Age as we know today. This is the this is the album that shows you that, you know, mm -hmm. before we get to like clockwork, it, it's because of Rated R, you know? So like autopilot and um in the fade those could have been like clockwork songs those could have been desert session songs you know it just kind of you picked and choose where they were going to go at the time um but you were right on picking this album because i think and uh leave a comment below if you rather us have done like clockwork uh but i think this is gonna be more special to our fans and um i i, I know for a fact that it's more special like overall to fans, you know, it's one of those things, this album um, and songs for the death, you know, the, because we have those, that collaboration, those, those three members, if you will, you know, Mark's just coming in, but you can really start to see it happen. And then that's why songs of the death is so good. It's because of what happened on rated R mm -hmm. and then recreating that. And then it gets a little weird and wacky and they go off and switch members and blah, yada, yada, yada. Try to have but fun. <laughs> these two albums are like, you know, these are the stamps, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's great to have those. And uh, Josh himself would say, like, he he actually goes back and listens to his older albums. And, and some um, some people like us, maybe us being musicians, we've said this time and time again, oh, I hate hearing myself. But I think you're kind of missing something is that you can go back and listen to it in a different way as a fan because – it's not a hundred percent Josh Homme. There's multiple layers. There's multiple singers, so he can go back and like listen to it, and like just looking, like listen to, um, um, you know, Nick Oliveira's vocals. You know, but that was one of the things he said in an interview where he's just like, I, I like to go back and listen to it, and that's you know, strange in some ways, but also it, it you start to get the idea of where he's coming from. And what type of person he is. Yeah. And, um, you know, why you're a fan of his. There's so many nowadays of, like, Queens of Stone Age, like, super fans. Like, this is my favorite band. You know what I mean? Uh, shout out to The Bonfire. I listen to him all the time. Uh, Dan Soder, famous comedian. Uh, favorite favorite band, um, Queens of Stone Age. And on his last special, it, at the end of it, was a Queens of Stone Age song. I, think I, I believe it was uh, in in The Fade that they played at the end of his special that just came out last year. I think they're getting great. more and more slow, but steady sort of rise because they're consistently putting out good music. Um, at like Josh Homme on Joe Rogan's podcast. Yeah. He's yeah. always just fun to listen to as well. But I just mean like, and then like you said, like this guy said, or this comedian said that Queens of Stonehenge was their favorite band. I think, they're slowly starting to like trickle into people's like yeah. 
Um, I mean, Bill Burr is like all periphery. I have. Yeah, he's like I have five shirts and like three of them are Queens of Stone Age shirts. You know what I mean? And that's all I've been wearing during the quarantine. So you you hear it. You know, it, it gets brought up. I think out I, of nowhere. It's just it's the cool people like it because yeah. it's not everybody because they're not. They're still playing day slots. They can be. They're not a stadium band. They're yeah. st- we're still humble rock and roll. We can still not necessarily play. Uh, decent sized bar that they're probably way ahead of that, but they could fill out like the, um, whatever your smaller venue, your, your next level venue is, you know what I mean? Ours is like the Austin city yeah. limits. Like they would still it's, be, it's they one be, up, but it's not the Frank Irwin center. You know what like I mean? It's not second, an amphitheater. Second billing. On like, um, if there was three acts, they'd probably be like the second bill of like a, uh, Frank Irwin Center Act. Oh my God. We're, you were with us uh, back in the day when we saw them in San Antonio Stadium tour. The Nine Inch Nails one, I wasn't. You weren't there? Here, were you there for the tool? You were there for one it's of raining? those. It's raining. Oh God. Um, <laughs> anyways, so it was Stadium literally so Festival. We were just talking I know, about right? <laughs> but this, this was crazy. Uh, these, these tickets were very expensive and we were still up in going. the top row. I remember like, that we show. Were, we yeah. were back quite a bit and he was in the stadium. So Nine Inch Nails, uh, Queens of Stone Age. That it. Not, no one else. And Queens of Stone Age goes on first and the crowd is standstill. <laughs> one person in the pit, we didn't have that money to get pit uh, tickets, of uh, dancing around. That's it. Nothing moving. And where we were sitting, it was sounded so weird to where it kept giving us this reverb sound out of nowhere. I go, and it was just like the room, the way they sounded was like, it wasn't fitting perfect. And then, you know, I think, man, this, this crowd's dead, you know, <laughs> like these people just suck. And then Nine Inch Nails comes on and everyone just lights the fuck up. So that's weird for me huh. to watch Queens of Stone Age have to go through that when, you know, we were like, fuck yeah. And, um, cause what a great billing, what, what two great bands to put together. No one gave a fuck about that's, yeah. the Queens of Stone Age. But that's uh, what granted, I'm this I think is 2008. Also who you know? you're pairing it with, like you're this is still 2008, all these, like, yeah. I could see how there is a cross between Queens of Stone Age fans and Nine Inch Nails fans. But at the same time, I think they're almost like, separate bands in a sense like the the energies i think nine inch nails the, the way like that drive, they work the way that they work and i believe this is because the with teeth and how with teeth is very different from every nine inch nails album with teeth is like them starting to collaborate yeah he's collaborating he's not this is what you're playing but it's also that's what you're doing stuff yeah but, but he like, also he has josh freeze comes in and yeah. just allows him to do the drums instead of him being like this is what i want for the drums or like having Twiggy come in and play bass, and it's like they write songs together. So he starts to become, uh, Trent Reznor, a musician outside of Nine Inch Nails. If Nine Inch Nails has to live like this, I can move forward. And I think, like everyone else we've talked about, when you met Josh Homme, when you meet him, and you become friends with him or anything, you, you go on tour with him, you see him and you're like, damn, he can go outside and just be a musician. But I, I can... I'm not stuck as Trent Reznor just in Nine Inch Nails. I can be Trent Reznor scoring films. I can be Trent Reznor doing How to Destroy Angels. I could be Trent Reznor in collaborating with multiple other people. Yeah. And it, it did the same for Dave Garol, you know, pushed him out. Get him out there to do more as a musician. You're not just a guitar player. You're not the singer. You're a musician. And Nine Inch Nails is its own entity that can float on, but you can also stand back and kind of 
Do your thing. Do your th- a, a whole nother thing. It's a not, new path. But it's not Nine Inch Nails. So like that's that point of like Trent Reznor doing film scores isn't Nine Inch Nails doing film scores. Yeah. Because they're two different entities, even though one is was at some point almost like the the dictator of that, you know. At one point it was whatever I say go. Yeah. And even with Queens of Stone Age at some point, I'm sure it was like he is, opens up. This more, is my you know? kind yeah. of at some. I'm not saying it was completely closed, but I'm. It was more closed at one point. I mean, the first album is just Josh. Yeah, and so then we get the collaboration of the two, <clears throat> and then the third, the fourth album. Yeah, and you start. It's getting pretty more. much just Josh uh, again, and then I, I I don't know that for a fact. Well, it's I'm been forever for Lullabies. I've listened to Lullabies like uh, maybe ten years ago. So and like Valeris, I didn't even give a fuck. But I, I bought it. it. It starts to get more and more progressive with collaborators. By it ends up with like Clockwork having nine oh, yeah. nine additional people playing, not including it's whoever. Insane. You get Dave Grohl's back on there too, <clears throat> man. Um, Dave Grohl, the uh, Joey, the other drummers, and then I mean, you got Nick Oliveri came back, or yeah, for Clockwork, I think, yeah. Nicola very can like literally almost everybody came back. And then on top of that, um, once like Cockwork comes out, villains, they drop everybody. <laughs> Pretty much only have four extra people working on the album. Yeah, he said uh, scrap it. Like this one's very poppy, this one's very produced. Strips down. It's super produced. And then he wants to strip it all down once more and create something different. Uh say what you will, like uh foreign villain. It's uh one of those albums I'll go back and check out again. I'm just, I was there mindset wise, but I wasn't there mindset wise when I first heard like clockwork either. So it yeah. takes time. It's is weird. This is very interesting music that you can go back to and listen multiple. Why they are the band that they are is because they're fantastic musicians, but they, it's well thought out. And there's, there's this uh, sense of energy and a, uh, a, uh, you know, a passion that's in every album, whether you're your favorite or not. You know what I mean? Every Queens of Stone Age album has it. So it's really, to say like they have one bad album is, is crazy because that's only in the sense of theirs. You know, if if any other band came out with like Born Villain, that would be their best album. You know what I mean? If a brand new band came out with that sound, that would be their best album, you know? And then they would have to live by those rules. But Queens of Stone Age makes and breaks rules all the time. So you get what you get, yeah. you know, and, and give well, it some also, time. I can see give it, it some time. divisive in that sense too, because it's only got one drummer and he's not the drummer that he's a new drummer. Yeah. It's out of nowhere too. So it's like, I mean that, uh, just to touch on the drums thing, cause we have talked about it a bit, but it like also has defined their style. Yeah. Since like, I like that drummer from Danzig though. Danny, I forget his last name, but. You could definitely tell. You're like, why is this drummer so jacked? And it's like, oh, you had to be jacked if you were in Danzig. You had to be a real buff guy. That guy was always a big guy. John uh, Theodore? Or who are you talking about? Uh, the guy for Lullabies. Oh, up. Lullabies. Okay. Yeah. Guy that's playing now. No, he, uh, I think he got booted on uh, like Clockwork. Because like Clockwork has that really, that famous drummer uh, that have done, he's, uh, he's a Mars Volta drummer. That sums it up. You know, there's three of them, and they just do everything in the entire world. If you need a drummer, um, they'll do it. Um, but uh, he also did like um, uh, one oh, day as a lion. Kessie. We met that. One dude. day as a lion. That's that dude. Uh, his parents were at that show, right? 
the drummer I, the drummer for uh, lullabies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joey Castillo. Oh, that is weird. Yeah, he's been in all kinds of stuff. Nine Inch Nails. Oh yeah. Um, Wasted Youth, Danzig. He did Mark Lanigan stuff. Mado Generator. Scott Weiland. His solo band, The Hives. Trash Talk. Trash Talk. That's Bronx, awesome. Yeah. Cool. The yeah. Bronx. Oh man, that that's a rotating. Uh, I wonder what world he did with Trash Talk. Too. <laughs> Bronx. <laughs> well, I just mean like when. You know, because they have like their like, music yeah, has changed. I think so it was probably in their change. It's probably like, when they kind of changed. What their, are they now? I don't because I remember that last album they did was very metal. You know, it was more heavy metal uh, influence. Like it was slower in some ways. If you well, they weren't ten second songs. That's what I mean by it. Uh, I mean, <laughs> so I, I believe that he was probably the drummer for that. You know, yeah. But man, um, they do need a new yeah. album. Jesus Christ! It's uh, six years since their last one. Put out like these EP still. Who? Trash talk. Um, and yeah, uh, sometimes, uh, well, now we're here to where it takes four years for a band to come out with an album. So. <laughs> Instead of two, you know, where the band just gets burnt out and like just stops playing. I mean, it happened to the Foo Fighters as well. Hence why he just stopped the Foo Fighters for a second. And it's like, yeah. like, I gotta breathe. Fuck. MTV has been riding my back for a new music video. Fucking, <laughs> I need a, another hit song on the radio. Crazy. So, uh, any other fun facts? I mean, so mm-hmm. we finally got to Queens of Stone Age. He's a big part of the world that we already talk about. He's in the world of music and the bands that we've already talked about. He's right there, two degrees away, one degree away from probably Madonna. You know what I mean? So, there what? you go. Um, toured, played, someone, a drummer came in and he was like, Yeah, I've done, you know, or multiple pop stars back in the day, drumming wise, you know? But that's how the world of music is. Everyone's like one degree away because when it comes to making a good album, you have to collaborate and, and work with other people. Very rarely it's one person. Everything, and it's one of the greatest albums you ever heard. It's a bigger idea. So uh, Queens of Stone Age definitely knows how to do that. And um, I think we pushed this episode a little <laughs> bit long. Um, but when you, when you get going, you get going. You guys can always fast forward through this. I'll put timestamps for where all the songs are if you want. <laughs> uh, but again, thank y'all for listening. And please uh, go check out those t-shirts uh, at Tee Public and just type in Bangover Productions. There's nothing else that's going to pop up, I promise. No porn. And, <laughs> and uh, get yourself a, a shirt, you know. Uh, they're pretty cool in my opinion. Uh, the definition one might be the, the, my favorite. Uh, but you can also get masks. Uh, maybe I put handbags on there. There was a oh, whole doing list. Masks now? That's cool. Yeah, uh, pins, mask, uh, what there are a bunch of other stuff. A sweater. You make your own shirt. That's what the great thing about T Public is. Let's just do a commercial. Let's do an ad read right now. Right now, um, <laughs> T Public. You can create your own shirt and do whatever. And like I said, was other great ideas. If you can't find like one of my favorite bands is Lard, and since that's such a a sm- a weird, unique band that didn't have a lot of shirts to begin with back in the day. How about you just go to T Public, pop up one of those images from Google, and make <laughs> your own fucking band shirt? How about that? How about that? That's a good idea, huh? I'm throwing that out there, a freebie for all y'all. So, um, yes, follow us on YouTube. Again, I was Scott Allen. This is Chris Myers. What's that? And what are we going to end it on? The longest, craziest song? Uh, yeah, the final song on the album. Um, 
I think I lost my headache, or as Josh would say live, I think I lost my fucking headache. But, um, the long, it's it's, really yeah. crazy with those trumpets at the end, and uh, what it was was just to see how long they can do it for, and you know, it's the craziest thing you're ever going to hear. Plus, multiple of those trumpet players that came in and did that blew out their fucking, like, their voice or, like, uh, their lungs a little bit because he was making them push yeah. harder and harder yeah. and faster and more and getting weirder with it. And he was probably just, it's like four minutes of it, and you're like, holy shit, what am I listening to? And it's based after, and this has happened uh, maybe in a different way to some people, but when you used to listen to an album, when you fell asleep to like him and his friends would fall asleep to albums. So he wanted to put something at the end. Yeah, that'd be very a, yeah. jarring to wake you up. Yeah. Uh, I know we know this from a uh, fucking uh, menu screens on DVDs. Oh yeah. Waking up to that motherfucker, that song just looping back over. Good God. Um, the song also has a weird intro outro that the main kind of that real carnivaly theme. And yeah, it's it's, it's, a, it's his favorite song for sure. It's in a um, weird time signature. It's a five, four or five, four or five. <laughs> it is. It's a really had it here. So what a weird way of writing in four five because it's maybe five four. Does that sound? It's fifteen eight. Oh. <laughs> there was another song on here that was like five four, and that's because there, of the screaming yeah. trees always does that. And what a weird oh, way of working was, five four uh, or something like 15, that. Fifteen eight, so count fifteen times each. So uh, yeah, let's get into it. Uh, uh, just thank you all for listening, and uh, be sure to uh, check in with us uh, for more episodes because we got more coming up. Oh, yeah, yeah, what's up? Yeah, with, uh, yeah, we got. We haven't even gotten to bands like Slayer or even a Mike Patton uh, yeah, group, for Mike God's Patton. sakes. Uh, there's so much to talk Too many. about. All right.